Media Network and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Welcome to the African History Network show. It is Tuesday, April 5th, 2022, and we are live. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. Hope everybody's doing well today. The call in number is 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. So on today's show, uh, I want to get to uh, a topic. We were going to talk about this on yesterday's show, but we had Dr. Lennon Jeffries on uh, as my guest, and uh, we ran into some technical difficulties also, so I did not get a chance to uh, get to this other topic. So uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson, who is uh, President Joe Biden's uh, nominee for uh, the Supreme Court, her uh, nomination advanced uh, on Monday, advanced out of the Senate Judiciary Committee, even though no Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee voted for her. Okay, the 11 Democrats, 11 Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee, no Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee voted for her. Um, it went to a floor vote, which was a procedural vote. And she did pick up three Republicans on the procedural four floor vote. We're going to give you a breakdown of uh, exactly what happened uh, on Monday. OK, and it's expected that her um, Senate floor confirmation vote could take place uh, either on Thursday or Friday of this week. All right. So uh, we're looking out for that now. One of the things that came out uh, yesterday, and Senator uh, um, um, Klobuchar uh, 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 gave a good breakdown of this, of how absurd the GOP's attacks are on Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson's uh, um, sentencing record, especially when it comes to child pornography cases, how they picked out four or five uh, cases out of all the cases that she had. And then also uh, Senator uh, Whitehouse uh, as well was on um, the last word with Lawrence O'Donnell. He gave a breakdown of this also. Okay. And it deals with how the, um, it deals with how the GOP uh, misled the public on Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, Jackson's sentencing record and, and the dark money that was behind this campaign also, okay? So we're going to talk about that uh, some on today's show. And then uh, at the White House today, and I shared the broadcast live on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, um, President Joe Biden and... Uh, Barack Obama. Barack Obama was back at the White House, former President Barack Obama. They're back at the White House to announce a uh, enhancement to the Affordable Health Care Act. OK, and uh, this is going to expand the Affordable Health Care Act to uh, about one point two million more people. So we're going to talk about what happened today. This has real consequences for people. We're going to talk about what uh, happened today. And we're going to share some of that footage uh, as well with you from uh, WhiteHouse.gov also. Okay. And Vice President Kamala Harris was there as well. All right. So the, the story about Jessica Tanji Brown Jackson, I wanted to do this on Monday show, but we had 
uh, Dr. Linda Jeffries on and it also ran the technical difficulties. So we didn't have time to do it. Go back and watch the interview I did with Dr. Linda Jeffries and he'll be here in Detroit uh, April 3rd and uh, April 3rd, 2022 and May 1st at the Double Tree Hotel for the uh, One Africa uh, Power and Unity Conference. OK, I'll be there as well. All right. So. On the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct wrong behavior. Calling numbers 313-778-7600 if you have a question or comment. So if we go to this first story here, and when we come back from the break, uh, Shakita will go on to uh, clip number one. Okay, if we uh, go to this first story here, I want to look at the Washington Post. So uh, Jackson on course for confirmation with two more GOP senators in favor. All right, this is from Monday, uh, April 4th. The Supreme Court uh, nominee is now poised to win final approval by the end of the week. So either Thursday or Friday, the the final vote is gonna take place. Now, it's important to note also that uh, spineless uh, Senator uh, uh, Tim Scott of South Carolina, who is black sometimes, he he did not vote for just Ketanji Brown Jackson. The Senate put Ketanji Brown Jackson on a clear track to be confirmed uh, later this week as the Supreme Court's 116th justice and its first African-American woman. After three Republicans joined Democrats to advance her nomination in a Monday vote. So those three Democrats were, uh, th- those three Republicans were Senator Mitt Romney of Utah, Senator Lisa Murkowski of uh, Alaska, and Senator Susan Collins of uh, Maine. Okay. Um, so, and Senator, they joined, the, the, the two joined Senator Susan Collins, who publicly backed the judge last month. All 50 members of the Democratic caucus also backed Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, which was expected, uh, including uh, Senator Manchin and Cinema, who voted for her in June 2021 uh, to put her on the uh, U.S. Uh, Court of Appeals, D.C. Court of Appeals. Now, all uh, so the vote was 53-47, 53-47 in the Senate. This was a procedural vote that had to be taken because uh, it, the, the, in the Senate Judiciary Committee, the vote was deadlocked 11-11 along party lines. No Republicans uh, in the Senate Judiciary Committee voted for her, which uh, we should keep in mind when it comes uh, to the November 22, November 20, uh, November 2022 uh, midterm elections and also the 2024 uh, elections as well. But the uh, but the late breaking support of the two GOP senators represented a, min- mi- a minor triumph for President Joe Biden and congressional Democrats who were eager to put a bipartisan uh, stamp on, of approval on a nominee whom many Republicans had eagerly painted as a soft on crime leftist radical, which she is not. They just want to just totally smear uh, her record. Okay, for their own personal gains after they voted for uh, Brett Kavanaugh, after they voted for Amy Coney Barrett and after they voted for Neil Gorsuch, all three much less qualified 
than just Katanji Brown Jackson. Now we're going to continue this on the other side of the break. We're going to let you hear some of what happened um, in the Senate Judiciary Committee on uh, Monday. Are right, you listening to the African History Network show? I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. STEM Forward, helping our community find their place in the emerging fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Join us for our monthly live stream on our website, stemforwardedu.org. Watch, subscribe, share. Also join our mailing list to stay up to date with STEM resources and opportunities. STEM Forward, the future is now. Watch, subscribe, share. Show we do with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take advantage of them. You control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts. You control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Tuesday, April 5th, 2022, and we are live. Okay, so right before the break, um, we were talking about uh, the nomination of Jessica Tanji Brown-Jackson. Uh, it has advanced, and there was a procedural vote in the Senate, the full Senate, on Monday. It was Monday evening, and the vote was uh, 53-47. Uh, three Republicans joined uh, 50 Demo uh, all 50 Democrats, okay? And it was 53-47. Now, uh, I want to go back to uh, this article here from uh, the Washington Post. And then we're going to go to a clip of what happened. You're going to hear Senator uh, uh, Amy Klobuchar explain how ludicrous it is for Republicans to try to smear uh, Judge Jackson's record. So in a statement, uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska praised Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson's qualifications and temperament, as well as her demonstrated judicial independence, demonstrated judicial independence. Um, and the and quote, the important perspective she would bring to the court as a former Supreme Court law clerk, federal public defender, trial judge, and now appeals court judge. Her decision, she added, uh, uh, Senator Murkowski added, quote, also rests on my rejection of the corrosive politici politicization of the review process for Supreme Court nominees, which on both both sides of the aisle is growing worse and more detached from reality by the year. Okay. More corrosive is growing worse and more detached from reality by the year, end quote. So uh, in his own statement, Senator Romney also praised Senator, uh, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson declaring his support after concluding that she is a, quote, well-qualified jurist and a person of honor, a well-qualified jurist and a person of honor. Now, the two Republicans made their statements just hours after a Senate panel blocked 
uh, a Senate panel deadlocked on her nomination along party lines, capping off several frenetic weeks of personal meetings, days of rigorous testimony, and hours of intense sparring about her judicial. Okay, the Senate Judiciary Committee, and many people watched the hearings, the Senate Judiciary Committee spent more than three hours, many people watched the four days of hearings, but the Senate Judiciary Committee spent more than three hours debating Judge Jackson's nomination on Monday, April 4th, anniversary, 54th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King, with its 22 members clashing over Judge Jackson's qualifications for sitting on the nation's highest court. Now, Judge Jackson, 51 years old, she was confirmed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, uh, District of Columbia Circuit less than a year ago, about after about eight years as a federal trial court judge in uh, Washington. All right, uh, I wanna go to uh, clip number one, Shakita. Now this is from uh, let me go to this here. So the clip number one is from uh, NBC News Senate panel. So this is what happened earlier in the day on me. The uh, Senate Judiciary Committee deadlocked on Judge Jackson's uh, nomination. And they said Senator Schumer was going to use a procedural measure to discharge her nomination to get it to uh, which you get it to a full Senate vote. Uh, so they could go to the next step. Let's go to clip one. And we're in just the last hour or so, we learned the Senate Judiciary Committee is deadlocked in a tie vote on whether or not to recommend Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court. This is not an unexpected result here. You've got every single Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee voting for her. Every single every single Democrat voting for her, every single Republican voting against her. That's the part that's not shocking, right? But it does make her the first nominee since Clarence Thomas not to get a favorable vote, vote out of this committee. Here's what you need to know, though. Let me just say this, right? Let's just be super clear in plain English. This is symbolic, right? Because Repo Democrats still have the votes. Republicans don't want to see her on the court in large measure, right? Except for maybe one, two, possibly three of them. But this whole thing will still move forward. That is the expectation. It took a little longer than expected. Why are we showing you California Senator Alex Padilla? Because his flight got delayed getting into town. So this whole thing got pushed back for hours while they waited for Senator Padilla to show back up. So what is next at this point? Tonight, you've got Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who's got to break out the old Senate rule book to discharge her nomination to the committee. Taking away the Hill speak there, it means they've got to have a vote to put her recommendation for the Supreme Court up for a vote. Let me bring in Garrett Hayes on Capitol Hill. Garrett, we can get tied up in knots explaining procedure and this and that. You care, right? You, you cover the Hill and people who, who are on the Hill care. But the bottom line is this. Here's what's important. It was a tie vote coming out of this committee. It's going to, by all accounts, go to a full vote in the Senate. And unless something bananas happens between now and Friday, she will be confirmed to be the next Supreme Court justice. Yeah, Ali, I think that's mostly right. I mean, the reality here is this was a delay. It was a little bit of a concern with Padilla getting here just in, to get to this tie. But it doesn't take something bananas to be the problem here. And I think this is the warning for Democrats. This episode of Padilla today was a reminder of just how fragile their 50-50 majority yeah. really is. That's a little bananas, though, Eric. Absolutely. That's a little bananas, though, right? A medical emergency on one flight that a senator was sitting on caused it to happen. 
I mean, that, that, that's a we're domino effect. Of, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. I mean, this yeah. is a medical emergency on a flight is just one thing. We've already had a senator out for weeks right. because of a stroke. That's one of the youngest, healthiest members of the Senate. So the idea that something might happen to keep a senator or two out of voting commission for any number of days or weeks is not outside the realm of possibility, particularly when you're operating with the oldest Senate that has ever existed in the history of the body, which is what we've got right now. So, uh, yes, if everything goes according to plan, this vote will happen by Friday. Judge Jackson will take her seat on the bench come September. Uh, but going according to plan, I don't think you can say it's entirely a foregone conclusion, as we are repeatedly reminded by events of the last two years of our lives. I think that's totally fair. That's the banana's caveat. Here's the thing about the vote and what's happening tonight, Garrett, right? Um, worth watching because of a couple of Republican senators. Yes, Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney. Remember, I, and I want to be clear to viewers, this isn't the vote that gets her onto the Supreme Court, right? That's not this vote tonight. This is a procedural vote. But it might give us a signal as to whether or not this is going to be bipartisan with multiple Republicans or a bipartisan vote with just one Republican joining Democrats. That's exactly right. This procedural vote tonight will have the effect of smoking out potentially any other votes for or against Judge Jackson from senators who haven't yet commented one way or the other. If you take someone like Lisa Murkowski, who likes to have the maximum amount of possible information available to her before she casts a vote, she would probably prefer to wait till Friday to come out and make her decision or at least make it publicly known. But as of tonight, she's going to have to decide at least on this procedural vote. Now, any one of these senators could try to be, you know, too cute by half and vote for the process against the nominee after the fact. That's not how Murkowski tends to operate. It's not how Mitt Romney tends to operate. Those are the two I'm now watching most closely to have to make a decision today they would have rather made later this week. Okay. Pause it right there. All right. So that, that, so that, that was from early in the day on Monday when uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee deadlocked. All right. Uh, we're going, we're going to clip two in just a second, Shakita, um, clip two from, uh, MSNBC from the Rachel Maddow show. Okay. So then it went to, uh, the full Senate vote for procedural vote, as we said, and the vote was 5347 for her nomination to proceed. Now they talked about, uh, Senator Padilla, Padilla of uh, California. Okay there was uh, an issue with his plane and his plane had to turn around, okay? I think there was a medical emergency uh, on his plane. Uh, his plane had to turn around. He had to catch another flight. So uh, he was delayed, all right? Uh, the Judiciary Committee vote was delayed for several hours. And we can look at the uh, uh, reporting here from NBC News also. If we look at this piece, uh, from NBC News. Let me flip over to this. Uh, see, this is this is why in midterm elections, uh, Democrats have to pick up more seats in the Senate. A 50-50 Senate, too many, too many things can happen. Okay. Just a few weeks ago, Senator Ben Way, ben, Senator Ben Ray Lewan of New Mexico would have a stroke and he was hospitalized. He was out of the Senate recovering from a stroke. In the Senate, they, you can't vote by proxy, meaning you, you can't vote remotely. You have to be present in the Senate to vote. Therefore, he could not vote in the Senate, okay? He was out for, I think, about six weeks. He's back now. He was out for about six weeks. Uh, if we look at this, uh, this article here, Jackson secures more bipartisan backing 
for Supreme Court nomination as three Republicans endorse her and procedural vote. This is from April 4th also. If we go here and look at, uh, I think it's third, third or fourth paragraph. It's on the second page here. Um, early, uh, earlier Monday, the Judiciary Committee deadlocked uh, 11-11, forcing the extra procedural step on the Senate floor. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer aims to hold the confirmation vote as early as Thursday. And let's see here. The Judiciary Committee vote was delayed for several hours Monday after uh, a flight carrying Senator Alex Padilla, of uh, a Democrat from California, was sent back to Los Angeles. He took a different flight to Washington and arrived later for the vote. I think there was a, a medical issue on the on the plane or something like that. But this plane was delayed. Okay, you you, you have I think it's still it's about seven Democrats who are in states that have Republican governors. Okay, do you realize if something were to happen to one of those seven Democratic senators and they had to resign? or something happened and they died in office or something like that, you realize that Republican governor can replace them with a Republican senator. And then it's 51 Republicans in the Senate, 49 Democrats, and their control of the Senate will flip over to Mitch McConnell. He'll become Senate majority leader. And then they can shut down any bills that come from the House and can shut down any uh, federal bench nominations from Joe Biden or any Supreme Court nominations from Joe Biden. This is why midterm elections, Democrats have to pick up more seats in the Senate. Listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Jeanette Davis is a well-established author with six published books. Black Survival in White America from Past History to the Next Century was published in 1995, and it delves into the history of African Americans before slavery up to contemporary times. The Great Divide Between Blacks and Whites was released in 2008, and her autobiography, Black Just Like My Mama, was published in 2010. Soulful Journey, The Business of Beings, was released in December 2021, and her two latest books, Echoes from the Heart, Love Throws Poetry, and Master Being Human, were both published in January of 2022. Jeanette Davis' writings delve deeply into the psyche of black people from ancient to contemporary times. She cuts no corners and leaves no stones unturned in relating truth, letting the chips fall where they may on both African and European doorsteps. Order Jeanette Davis's books today at Amazon.com. Search for Jeanette Davis and get to know her work today. The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry, it's larger than the art world. And I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre, I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Notori Naughton reached out to me and she's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time.
910, The Super Station, Detroit's only African-American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, The Super Station, The Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. All right, it is um, Tuesday, April 5th, 2022. Uh, I want to remind you, you can register for the online uh, classes, online history classes that I teach. And uh, these are 10-week online classes. And actually, as soon as you register, uh, nine weeks of classes uh, archive that you can already start watching. You don't have to worry about joining us in class at a certain time. And once you register for the class, even a year from now, you'll still have full access uh, to the course. You can still watch it. Uh, so ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And um, we have a session, a live session I'll be doing uh, Saturday, April 9th, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time of the class. You can join us live or watch it on demand. The class is regularly uh, $130. is on sale $60. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We go through and analyze the transatlantic slave trade also. We also deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors and deal, deal with the Moors taking the teachings from ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, and the Nile Valley region of Africa into Europe and bringing Europe out of the Dark Ages. All right, and we also have a bundle pack. Uh, you can register for both classes that I teach because the second one is on Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. You have a bundle pack. You can register for both classes for $100. That's a $260 value. If you've taken any of my online classes in the past, email me at ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com, ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com. You get a 50% discount. All right, I want to go back to um, the our, our lead story here dealing with just Katanji Brown-Jackson, her nomination advanced on Monday. And we had a jam-packed show with Dr. Leonard Jeffries on uh, Monday. We did not get a chance to get to this. So um, right before the break, we were, I was talking about this article from NBC News as well. And uh, uh, the the vote in the Senate Judiciary Committee was delayed because Senator Alex Padilla's uh, plane was uh, delayed also. And uh, we know that the it was 11-11 uh, deadlock in the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. Now, most Republicans said they could not support. We're going to clip two, Shakita. Most Republicans said they could not support Judge Jackson because of her judicial philosophy. Some also criticized her uh, her sentencing record in, in child exploitation cases. Senator Lisa Murkowski speaking with uh, reporters after the procedural vote on the Senate floor that was 53-47 uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski called the Supreme Court confirmation process process just awful, just awful, and acknowledged that her vote might lead to political repercussions in the primary for her reelection bid this year. She's up for reelection uh, November twenty two, November twenty twenty two. She's uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski said, "I assume I have, I have, I assume I have assumed a level of risk." in doing this because it is a position that my conference has not taken. We're so divided now, we are, we are to that point where it's almost automatic. If it is a president who is not of my party, puts forth a nominee, 
I am somehow obligated to just barely even give consideration, not just uh, not just before the name is named, end quote. OK, she said this is an awful process It's just awful. All right. So I, I want to go to this next clip. Now, this is Ali Velshi on the Rachel Maddow show from uh, Monday, April 4th. And he is talking about what happened after the full Senate vote that ended 5347 to advance Jessica Tanji Brown Jackson's nomination. Let's go to clip two, please. We do have some unexpected and truly historic news tonight concerning Joe Biden's nominee to the Supreme Court, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson. As predicted today, the Senate Judiciary Committee deadlocked voting along party lines on her nomination. As expected, nearly every Republican member spent their time reiterating the same tired arguments against her confirmation that they introduced two weeks ago. Well, we got some big news tonight about how Judge Jackson's final confirmation vote will turn out, because this evening, both Senators Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney announced that they will vote in support of Judge Jackson. They joined Senator Susan Collins, who made clear she would vote for Judge Jackson last week. All three of those Republican senators followed those announcements with votes to discharge Judge Jackson's nomination to the Senate floor today. The final vote was 53 to 47. That tees up a final confirmation vote later this week, likely on Friday. And that means Judge Jackson is now firmly on track to make history as the first public defender and the first black woman to be confirmed as a Supreme Court justice. And that is some badly needed good news tonight. Okay. Great reporting from Ali Velshi, who's reporting from, I think he's still in Ukraine. He's reporting from one of the cities in Ukraine. Um, okay, so check out the rest of the article from uh, NBC News and then also the one from um, also the one from Washington Post uh, as well. Now, I want to go to clip three. Now, this is from the last word with Lawrence O'Donnell from Monday, April 4th. And you're going to hear uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, um, uh, to who explain of Minnesota, who who um, in the Senate Judiciary Committee, she's going to explain how absurd the objections are from the uh, uh, from the Republicans. All right, and uh, this deals with uh, GOP senators say that. Uh, okay, uh, let's go. Let's go to this uh, clip number three. Okay. All right. Uh, so we'll go to that in just a second. And then uh, after the break, we're going to talk about what happened at the White House today as well with the Affordable Health Care Act. And President Barack Obama was back at the White House to announce an enhancement to the Affordable Health Care Act. Do we have clip three queued up? Um, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse dealt with how the GOP misled the public of Judge Jackson's sentencing record. Now, we already talked about the fact checking from the uh from the new york times um and this this goes back to uh may 20 march 21st 2022 attacks on judge jackson's record on child sexual abuse cases are misleading attacks on judge jackson's record on child abuse uh sex cases are misleading i'll try to pull this article up for you as well commercial break this to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Abundant Capital Group is a real estate investment company with over 20 years of experience in real estate. They specialize in two areas of real estate. One, 
They solve real estate problems with creative financing solutions that give the seller the most money for their property. And two, they show individuals how to get a higher rate of return on their investment capital with Real Estate Note Investing. If you are looking to sell or need to sell your property, here is what they provide. Market value offer, even if you have little or no equity, they typically pay all closing costs, which can be thousands of dollars. They close on a date of the seller's choosing, and the seller does not have to be out of the house at the time of closing. They take the property in an as-is condition, and the seller is not required to make any repairs. Give them a call or email them today for a free consultation and see how they can help you with your real estate needs. Call them at 973-475-8488. That's 973-475-8488. Visit their website, AbundantCapitalGroup.com. That's AbundantCapitalGroup.com. And email them at ACG at AbundantCapitalGroup.com. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Abundant Capital Group. iRedify is a black-owned digital platform that showcases black and brown cultures and people. The books on the platform are written by African-American authors, Afro-Caribbean authors, African authors, and so much more. Kids 14 and under can read e-books, listen to audiobooks, and complete learning activities. Kids can even write in the books digitally. Get unlimited access to everything on the platform for only $8.99 a month at iRedify.com. Sign up for your membership today. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, Future Radio. All right. Uh, so right before the break, I was talking about this article here from the New York Times. And we talked about this back uh right around March 21st when it came out. It came out March 21st, 2022. Fact check, attacks on Judge Jackson's record on child sexual abuse cases are misleading, all right? And this is by uh, Linda Q. Uh, Republican lawmakers criticizing, Republican lawmakers criticizing the Supreme Court nominee have taken a judge's remarks and sentencing decisions out of context, distorting her record. Okay, so I, I want to go back to try this again. Do we have clip number three queued up now? This is from uh, the last word with Lawrence O'Donnell. Raised today and in the confirmation hearings involves issues that were already part of Judge Jackson's record a year ago when Lindsey Graham voted for her. What didn't bother Lindsey Graham at all one year ago became the reasons to vote against Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson this time. Our first guest tonight will explain how that happened, how mysteriously funded right-wing organizations mounted a campaign against President Biden's first Supreme Court nominee and delivered talking points to the Republican members of the Judiciary Committee, including Lindsey Graham, for them to use against a judge. Who Lindsey Graham voted for a year ago. 
The new Republican supporter that Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson picked up today is Senator Mitt Romney, who is now one of three Republican senators supporting Judge Jackson. Senator Susan Collins announced her support for Judge Jackson last week. Senator Lisa Murkowski announced her support for Judge Jackson today. That is consistent with their support for Judge Jackson last year. Senator Romney issued a written statement saying, quote, after reviewing Judge Jackson's record and testimony, I have concluded that she is a well-qualified jurist and a person of honor. While I do not expect to agree with every decision she may make on the court, I believe that she more than meets the standard of excellence and integrity. I congratulate Judge Jackson on her expected confirmation and look forward to her continued service to our nation. Now, that is the kind of statement, almost word for word, that over 90 senators used to make, sometimes 100, when Supreme Court confirmations were not the partisan circus that they have become. Once again today, before the committee vote, Senator Cruz and Senator Hawley spent their time saying that they thought the prison sentences that Judge Jackson gave for possession of child pornography in just a few cases should have been longer sentences. Republicans used hours of confirmation hearing time on this talking point which was not something that any of them mentioned one year ago when Judge Jackson went through the confirmation process. Today, in less than a minute, Senator Amy Klobuchar offered a full rebuttal to the Republican talking points. If you really want to go deep into the details here, Senator Cruz released a chart saying the average sentence imposed by Judge Jackson in possession cases, possession of porn is 29.3 months, but it is based on only four cases and omits one that would raise her average to 52 months, much closer to the reported national average of 60 months. And if you were considering all of her non-production cases, possession, receipt, distribution of pornography, and yes, as a former prosecutor, I know these differences, the average sentence imposed with 65 months. I literally cannot even believe that I'm going into these details, but I am. Another Republican talking point raised by Republicans, including Lindsey Graham, was that they don't like some of the groups who have endorsed Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. The Republicans never, ever mentioned the endorsements of Judge Jackson by the country's largest police organization, the Fraternal Order of Police, and the International Association of the Chiefs of Police. Here is Republican Tom Tillis this morning. I asked her if she had any connection with the Arabella Group or Demand Justice, some of these other radical liberal activist organizations. She said she didn't, but she's on their top pick list everywhere you go, whether it's Demand Justice, shortlist for uh, President Biden, uh, Sierra Club, uh, a number of the other organizations. Radical liberal organizations. Tom Tillis is worried about the Sierra Club endorsing a nominee for the Supreme Court. Tom Tillis voted for a candidate for president who was endorsed by Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke. And voting for the Klan's favorite candidate was something Tom Tillis enjoyed doing so much that he did it twice. He voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020. But the Republican senator from North Carolina is now worried about the Sierra Club. Would he vote for a Supreme Court nominee endorsed by the Klan? He would if the nominee's name was Donald Trump.
Judicial philosophy is a concept that was invented for Supreme Court confirmation hearings. It is not something taught in law schools. There is no such thing as a judicial philosopher. That's not an occupation. If you had asked a judge about judicial philosophy prior to the era of contentious Supreme Court confirmations, the judge would not know what you are talking about and would give you an answer like this. Over the course of my uh, almost decade on the bench, I have developed uh, a methodology that I use um, in order to ensure that I am ruling impartially and that I am adhering to the limits on my judicial authority. Here's what the senior senator from Texas had to say about that. I did ask her about her judicial philosophy. She says she doesn't have one and hasn't thought much about it. That's simply not a credible response, and I believe demonstrates a lack of candor. 30,573 is the number of times, according to Washington Post calculations, that Donald Trump publicly lied during his presidency. The number of times John Cornyn objected to those lies was zero. John Cornyn happily voted for a pathological liar for president twice. And then he came to the Judiciary Committee this morning to accuse Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson of lying under oath. And his accusation was about the intellectually vacuous concept of judicial philosophy. Senator Cornyn's comments were followed by Senator Shelvin Whitehouse. Okay, pause it right there. Uh... He has sent the Sheldon White House uh, on this show. So we're out of time here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. Um, we're going to actually go to um, those watching on Facebook and YouTube. Keep watching the African History Network on Facebook and Michael M. Hotep on YouTube. Keep watching. And I'm going to let you hear uh, his interview. Uh, some of it with uh, Senator Sheldon White House. Also, now, some people that don't follow this and repeat BS that they hear from these simple Simon ass people on social media, like some of these people posting on my thread right now, uh, want to bring up the Lockheed Martin uh, class action lawsuit and Jessica Tanji Brown Jackson rule. They said she ruled against the African-Americans in the lawsuit. You know, first thing you should do, your dumb ass needs to read. That's the first thing you should do. Read this piece right here from the Washington Post, because what happened was if she had uh, followed the plaintiffs and ruled on behalf of the plaintiffs, it would have precluded, it would have prevented other African-Americans later on to uh, file uh, discrimination lawsuits. Okay, read this piece right here. The Katanji Brown-Jackson rule against black workers is not so simple. No, you got to actually read what happened and stop listening to these dumbasses on social media. All right. Um, Thanks for watching the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Uh, uh, we're going to keep going in a few minutes. Stand by. Okay, let's continue. All right, so let me do this. I want to cue this up. He goes to uh, just Jack. He goes to uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse um, in the Senate Judiciary Committee. And let me see. Why is this freezing up? He goes to Senator Sheldon Whitehouse in the Senate Judiciary Committee. And then he also, uh, Lawrence O'Donnell also interviewed him uh, on the show. So uh, let me pull this up right quick. 
Okay, read this. This is for the dumbasses that don't read. Um, let me see. Let's go to. Okay, she. Uh, Senator Kobishaw was at the three minute thirty second mark. So let's go. During his presidency, the number of times John Cornyn objected to those lies was zero. John Cornyn happily voted for a pathological liar for president twice. And then he came to the Judiciary Committee this morning to accuse Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson of lying under oath. And his accusation was about the intellectually vacuous concept of judicial philosophy. Senator Cornyn's comments were followed by Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. Well, let's not pretend that a judicial philosophy is a neutral thing. It is a tool. And when a judge says he or she has one, it's worth looking into. But that doesn't mean you have to have one. Leading off our discussion tonight is Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island. He is a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator Whitehouse, thank you very much for joining us tonight. I've been very eager to talk to you about so many things about this confirmation, including, of course, the most overused two words in any confirmation hearing, judicial philosophy. Uh, let's begin there because you alone uh, during the hearings point, pointed out uh, the absurdity of the very concept of uh, judicial philosophy. So let me just tee this up by pointing out that the last three Supreme Court judicial selections made by President Trump were picked by this dark money network. So when the Republicans mm -hmm. are letting this dark money network pick their selections, then of course they're also letting them pick their objections. So where does it turn out that all this judicial philosophy talk, we heard the word 50 times in the hearings. It comes from a little group of groups that all share the same address it's called Independent Women's Forum, Independent Women's Voice, Independent Women's Law Center. It's uh, very attached to Leonard Leo, who's done all the judge picking, and his pair of front groups, 85 Fund and Concord Fund, which are funded by the Kochs and their foundations and the Bradley Foundation, and it was run by a Koch lobbyist for years, while she also ran Americans for Prosperity, the big Koch brothers' political mothership, mm -hmm. and surprise, surprise, in one of these organizations, you will find none other than Senator Hawley's spouse working. And they directed everyone, actually before, <laughs> before Judge Jackson was even named, it is important that you focus not on the selection process or on the nominee's paper qualifications, but rather on the need to learn more about the nominees, and this is italics and bold, judicial philosophy. So that comes straight out of swamp dark money talking points. And you see the same thing with the sexual predators uh, angle on her um, child pornography sentencing. That came out of another front group uh, with all sorts of creepy ties, including the, the legendary Cleta Mitchell. And uh, the guy who runs that one was Ted Cruz's oppo guy in Cruz for President. You've got Holly and Cruz who are saying these things with like family members and staff feeding stuff to them from these dark money groups. 
if it weren't so sickening, it would be funny. Uh, and th let's go to that point of, about the uh, possession of child pornography cases. This is a very simple objection, objection to state, if you have it, uh, as, as a member of the committee, to say uh, there are three, uh, in some cases, some point to four, uh, child pornography cases where I wish you, the, the prison sentences you gave, because you did give prison sentences in all of them, I wish those prison sentences were longer. Now. That's how long it takes to state that. Uh, they spent hours doing it, and you showed very clearly at the committee that the reason this never came up a year ago, never came up a year ago at her last uh, confirmation process uh, for the Circuit Court of Appeals was because the, the dark money world had not put together this file for them uh, to hand to them. Yep. Yeah, I mean, do you actually think Ted Cruz was running around in that elementary school library pulling books off shelves looking for something offensive? No, this stuff gets fed to them. And in this case, it was his old oppo guy who was doing some of the uh, some of the research. And this this was enough to flip uh, Lindsey Graham, who a year ago, when all of these issues were present, because all the issues they're talking about happened when she was at the trial court, uh, and, and not, I didn't hear, correct me if I'm wrong, in all of the hours of hearings, I did not hear one mention of a single thing she has done uh, as an appeals court judge that was raised by a Republican as an objection in this proceeding. No, I mean, the focus was entirely on the child porn thing. They were obsessed with the child porn thing. And um, they really misled the public about what was going on in all of that because their points were that she sentenced below the sentencing guidelines. Well, you can ask essentially any federal judge, the two worst sentencing guidelines are the crack versus powder cocaine disparity and this one. So it's absolutely common for judges to sentence below it because it hasn't been adapted for the internet age. And the second thing that they do is they pretend that the government is the only entity in the room. Sentencing, you've got the government and you've got the defense counsel who a judge has an obligation to listen to and treat seriously. And you've got the probation department, an arm of the court, making its own sentencing recommendation. And they rather conveniently left out all of that and argued that she was sentencing below what the government recommended. Well, the government customarily makes the harshest recommendations, so that's no surprise either. So they set up a false frame into which to put her decisions in order to make them look like they were extraordinary when they're not. I, I, the, the hearing that was held after uh, Judge Jackson was finished, there was a separate hearing about qualifications. The American Bar Association group testified, uh, had the uh, unanimous uh, fully qualified endorsement from them yeah. and then there was this golden moment uh actually provided in your questioning of one of the witnesses who the republicans called uh in the hearing that was about the judge's qualifications this witness yeah. did not say a single thing about her qualifications uh the, they were just generalities against i guess his concept of liberal uh, judges, and I just want to let the audience see this uh, one more time. We ran it that night, but let's take a look at it now. Uh, what happened with this witness and this witness's credibility uh, when Senator Whitehouse had his chance? Is Joseph R. Biden of Delaware 
the duly elected and lawfully serving President of the United States of America. He is the President of this country. Is he the duly elected and lawfully serving President of the United States? He is the President of our country. Are you answering that omitting the language duly elected and lawfully serving purposefully? I'm answering the question, he is the President of the United States. And you have no view as to whether he was duly elected or is lawfully serving? I'm telling you he's the President of the United States. No further questions. Senator Whitehouse, a moment like we have never had in the history of Supreme Court confirmations. They had some beauties out for that. Really astonishing the people they dragged in for the uh, witnesses. Usually it's a pretty distinguished panel. And uh, going forward, there's, uh, uh, Judge Jackson's future in the Supreme Court is secured. Uh, there are now questions about uh, Clarence Thomas's future on the Supreme Court and what cases he should be recusing himself from. Uh, given what we now know about his wife's communication with the White House involving January 6th, uh, should, at minimum, uh, Judge Thomas recuse himself from all January 6th cases? He should, and Chairman Hank Johnson of the House Judiciary Court Subcommittee, who's my colleague on the House side, and I together sent a letter to Justice Roberts asking him to apply his forces of persuasion to make sure that that happens. The problem here is you've got a judge who tried to interfere in the investigative capability of a commission that with full investigative powers would have discovered that his wife was communicating with people who were involved in the conspiracy to disrupt the election. So you really don't get to make a decision like that if you've got a family member involved, and particularly when the effect of your decision would be to inhibit the investigative reach of that commission. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, thank you very much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Quite a time. <laughs> thank you, Senator. All right. Okay, so that was uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse uh, from Monday, April 4th, 2022, on The Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell. Now, that uh, questioning that you heard from uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, Democrat of Rhode Island, he was questioning uh, this was during the um, Senate Judiciary uh, confirmation hearing of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. It was on the fourth day of the hearing. It was on the fourth day of the hearing, which was uh, March 24th. That was the fourth day. And that's where uh, witnesses testified on her behalf and those Republicans brought uh, to testify against her confirmation. You heard Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall. Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall, who is a Republican, questioned three or four times by Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, is uh, Joe Biden the duly elected president? And he would not say he was the duly elected president. He would just say he's president. Okay. And that, that person is the sitting Alabama State's Attorney General. His name is Steve Marshall. He needs to be voted out of office next time he's up for uh, re-election. All right. Now I want to go back to this piece because you got you know these idiots here on social media don't read don't don't uh, study law none of this stuff uh you can read this you can look at other sources somebody say oh this is an opinion piece just because an opinion opinion piece doesn't mean it's not true 
you can go research this. But let's look at this quickly here. Did Katanji Brown Jackson rule against black workers? It's not so simple. This is by Kenneth W. Mack and Andre M. Davis. I know the the uh, the attorney who handled this case on behalf of uh, of them uh, of the African American employees wrote a letter saying she should not be confirmed. You should uh, it's stupid. Okay, it's just stupid. But anyway, uh, very quickly, let's look at this. And let me make sure this is up here. Okay, yeah, we've got this up. All right. Um, if we look at this article, it looks at this uh, class action lawsuit. Um, it's with other black fellows just face similar recusal motions. Okay. Uh, Okay, so they're talking about Constance Baker Motley, who's the first African-American uh, female federal judge. That's the Motley they're referring to. Uh, in a letter to Joe Biden, former district judge U.W. Clement of Alabama asserted that Judge Jackson should not be selected because she has not done enough, quote unquote, for the cause of justice and equality, end quote. Clement said that her decision to dis disapprove of the settlement in a quote, bell sounding the alarm that if Judge Jackson is appointed to the Supreme Court, simple justice and equality in the workplace will be sacrificed, end quote. Clement in the letter challenged several of her procedural decisions in the case, but took most direct aim at her rejection of the settlement. The Lockheed Martin case was a class action suit in which the plaintiffs claimed to be to, to represent more than 5,500 current and former uh, black Lockheed employees. Now, Dr. Greg Carr, who actually has a law degree and teaches a law class, he's not just the chair of the Afro-American Studies Department, but he also teaches a law class at Howard University. He's talked about this as well and, and talked about how her ruling was correct. He's a panelist also on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Because it was a class action, Jackson had a duty Jackson had a duty to protect the interests of the black workers who were not in court, who were not in court, but who would still be bound by the terms of the settlement. Now that idiot that I just had the block. Okay. They're not going to tell you stuff like this. They're going to come up with some BS that they saw on social media and don't do research. Now, uh, judge Clement is, is uh, listed as counsel to the firm that brought the case. Jackson found, uh, Judge Jackson found in 2017 that the proposed class did not satisfy, the, the proposed class did not satisfy what is called commonality, called the commonality requirement, which is designed to ensure that there is enough overlap between all the class members' claims for it to make sense to resolve them all together. In doing so, she was applying a 2011 and controversial Supreme Court decision about employment discrimination class actions. The problem with the settlement, uh, Judge Jackson concluded, was that the proposed class of Lockheed employees, quote, encompassed individuals with widely varying experiences of discrimination, end quote. It encompassed in the, 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 it was that the proposed class of the proposed class 
of Lockheed employees encompassed individuals with widely varying experiences of discrimination. Judge Jackson also ruled that the proposed set that the proposed settlement was not fair, reasonable, and adequate because many African American employees would be abandoning potential discrimination claims without knowing what they were giving up and what monetary compensation or other relief they were likely to get in return. Now, this is something the dumbasses are not going to tell you because they don't do research. And my mom watches this show. She doesn't like me cussing, but she, I, I think she'll approve of me saying this here. Okay. Now, every one of Lockheed's uh, black employees would have had to give up all rights to sue the company for any kind of past discrimination to obtain a settlement in this one particular case. Let me repeat. Every one of Lockheed's African-American employees would have had to give up all rights to sue the company. Subsequent lawsuits would have had to give up all rights to sue the company for any kind of past discrimination to obtain a settlement in, in this one particular case, which challenged, which challenged one particular employment practice of the company. Just Jackson believed that trade-off was unfair. Does this indicate that Just Jackson is biased against or for black plaintiffs or claims of workplace discrimination? At worst, Just Jackson seems to have been protecting one group of black Lockheed employees from having their interests sacrificed for those of another group of black employees. The history of African-American federal judges and of and of worries that they might be biased in discrimination cases should be, should lead one to to be humble about drawing such broad conclusions. But simple Simon ass people don't do that, okay? Because they don't do research; they just run off at the mouth, repeat stuff they see in memes and all this. This is it's just a whole echo chamber of black stupidity floating around on social media. Uh, should lead one to be humble about drawing such broad conclusions based on limited proof about what a black female justice is likely to do in court. A black female justice will be immensely powerful. It be an immensely powerful symbol of the past and future of this uh, of this country, as uh, uh, Candace uh, as, as uh, Constance Baker Motley, Judge Constance Baker Motley, and her generation of judges knew all too well. Okay, so read, read the rest of this here. Uh, but don't come here with no stupid nonsense, okay? Because you will get blocked. I don't have time for that, all right? Go to somebody. There's a bunch of dumbass people on social media you can go talk to who would love to hear from you. Have fun. All right, now, um, okay, I want to go to... What happened at the White House today? And then I have to get out of here because I have a lot of work to do. Uh, also, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show uh, through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Uh, we're here six days a week. We're celebrating our 12th year anniversary of me broadcasting the African History Network show. 
the sisters keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. So you can register for the online classes that I teach also. That helps as well. But you can support us, uh, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App and also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. We have uh, the information here at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. The sisters keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills because it's not easy doing this research. It's very time consuming. Um, we're celebrating our 12th year anniversary. I first broadcasted the African History Network show March 10th, 2010. And uh, we're on Monday through Friday, 11 p.m. to midnight Eastern Standard Time, Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. So maybe in a month, they're opening back up the station. They said May 22nd, I think, because uh, we've been broadcasting from home uh, due to COVID. So maybe on Sundays, you know, uh, I'll be back in the radio station. Uh, as opposed to broadcasting from home, we'll see. But, um, and you can download the iHeartRadio app also. And um, you can download the iHeartRadio app as well and uh, search for the African History Network show, okay? All right, now, uh, we have the information here for PayPal and Cash App also. This is our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the EHN show. And uh, when you go to it, it says Michael and shows my picture there. These other ones here are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. We have the link here also. Um, you can click on it. And we have the PayPal uh, button uh, as well. Uh, the online classes that I teach, uh, a lot of the content is on demand. So as soon as you register, there's nine weeks of content you can watch. Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And Kemet's one of the original names for Egypt. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Okay, so those classes are on sale, $60, regularly $130. Uh, even after the class is over with you, still have full access to the class. You can still watch the content even a year from now. We have a bundle pack. You can register for both classes for um, $400, okay? This is a $260 value. They make great gifts. Also, if you want to uh, buy a gift for a friend or family member, something like that, email me at ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com. ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com. We'll make that, we, we, we can do that for you also. All right, and you can use this with your children. I would say the content is PG-13, okay? Um, and I do PowerPoint presentations. We have book references, articles, all that, all of that in the class. All right, I, I want to go to this next story here. So um, at the White House today, um, you had uh, current President Joe Biden, former President uh, Barack Obama, and uh, current Vice President Kamala Harris, and they announced a enhancement to the uh, Affordable Health Care Act, okay? And this is going to allow uh, 1.2 million more people to uh, be able to take advantage of the Affordable Health Care Act. And let me go to this here. So there was a good article from uh, Washington Post on this that I read earlier today, and there was a uh, we're going to this clip from NBC News and then I'm going to show you actually what happened at the White House today also. OK, so if we look at this article here from uh, the Washington Post. 
Let's see here. Uh, with Obama looking on White House to open ACA American uh, uh, Care Act uh, plans to more families. Okay, and this is from uh, April fourth. Uh, Tour they updated it today. It's from April fourth. They updated it today, April fifth. Uh, President uh, Joe Biden announced Tuesday that his administration is making a tweak uh, to federal rules long sought by advocates that would allow millions of additional families to buy health plans through the insurance markets created by the Affordable Care Act. Now this announcement represents Biden's latest effort to use the ACA as the main fulcrum for, uh, for his goal of making health insurance more affordable, making health insurance more affordable uh, available and affordable to American consumers. In a piece of political theater uh, to symbolize the point, the current president was accompanied uh, during an East Room uh, event by former President Barack Obama, who was in office when the sweeping health care law passed a dozen years ago. Uh, for President Obama, it was his first uh, return, it was his uh, first return a visit to the White House since he moved out in 2017, January 2017, after two terms with Biden uh, as as his vice president. Okay, now I want to go to, uh, let me see. Okay, so we'll pull this up here. This is from NBC Nightly News because we had, I had it queued up um, at the radio station. But since we're only on for one hour, I have to operate the boards here on this end. So we'll cue that up also. Okay, so um, okay, let's cue that up. All right, so uh, the reunion was a let's go back to this here. So the reunion was a democratic tribute to a law that remains politically polarizing a dozen years after its passage and a self-congratulatory moment by the 44th and 46th presidents for their respective efforts to alter the nation's health care system. Okay, uh, let's see, I think we have this queued up now. All right, let's go to this clip. Stepping back into what President Biden called the good old days, former President Obama returning to the White House for the first time since leaving office, a reunion of policy and friendship. Vice President Biden, Vice President. That was a joke. 44 rejoining 46 to tout the anniversary of his signature health care law and to support President Biden's efforts to expand it. Nothing made me prouder than providing better health care and more protections to millions of people across this country. Both nostalgic and poking fun at a classic Bidenism that punctuated that day 12 years ago. It is, to quote a famous American, a pretty big deal. Rock, let me remind you, it's a hot mic. 
Tonight, President Biden announcing a rule change to cap coverage costs for families that he said will allow one million more Americans to get more affordable coverage. But it's also an opportunity for the former president to give the current commander in chief and Democrats a boost in a critical midterm election year, with President Biden's approval rating plummeting to 40 percent in the recent NBC News poll. 55% disapprove and facing challenges like rising crime and record inflation. The Democrats are in panic mode. They're in free fall because they created this crisis. But tonight, former President Obama with a message for his party. What do you tell Democrats worried about the midterms? We got a story to tell, just got to tell it. Tonight, Obama aides say he's had President Biden's back on major issues throughout his presidency and that he'll be active in support of Democrats leading into the midterms this fall. Okay, now it's from NBC Nightly News. Let's, okay, let's close that out. Some NBC Nightly News. Now, uh, if we go back, I'm going to go to some footage of what happened at the White House today. Um, let's see. I want to go back to this article here from the Washington Post. All right, so... If we scroll down um, right here. So when President Biden said he was not going to celebrate the ACA, but also announce actions that would make it even better, I had to show up, uh, uh, President Obama said. Now, the tweak involves what is known in health policy circles as the ACA's family glitch, the ACA's family glitch. It involves who is eligible to buy healthcare plans with federal subsidies through healthcare.gov, healthcare.gov. The, uh, the federal uh, ACA insurance marketplace that opened up in 2014 or similar marketplaces in states that operate their own. Now, for the most part, uh, those marketplaces are open to U.S. residents who do not have access to health benefits through a job. However, the law also contains a provision, a provision that lets people buy uh, ACA health plans even if they have a job uh, that offers health benefits. They can do that if monthly premiums would require them to spend roughly 10% or more of their household income on that coverage, okay? They can do this if their job offers health insurance, but it's too high, okay? They can do this if the, uh, monthly premiums would require them to spend roughly 10% or more of their household income on that healthcare coverage. The wrinkle has been that in calculating how big a bite an employer's health plan would take out of a worker's income. The amount has, the amount has taken into account only the premiums for an individual uh, insurance policy, not a policy that covers a worker's spouse or children too, which would be generally speaking more expensive if it covers your spouse and your children as well. Under the Obama administration, regulatory officials said those dependents were not eligible for uh, federal subsidy 
to help pay for an ACA healthcare plan, even when family coverage through an employer's health benefit costs far more than the law says is affordable. During a briefing for reporters Monday evening to preview Biden's announcement, senior administration officials said the Treasury Department, which handles the American Care Act subsidies because they are in the form of a tax credit, is proposing a rewrite of the ACA's rules so that the cost of job-based coverage for an entire family is taken into account. Assuming the proposed tweak completes the federal regulatory process, the change will begin January 1st of 2023. According to the officials who spoke on the condition of anonymity before Biden announced it, slightly more than 5 million people nationwide are affected by the family glitch, according to estimates last year by the Kaiser, uh, by the Kaiser uh, Family Foundation by the Kaiser Family Foundation, um, according to a health, which is a health uh, policy research group. Most are children and women, uh, uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation found. Now the White House estimates that perhaps 1 million people will switch uh, to ACA healthcare plans uh, if the rule if the rules change, while many others will keep their job based uh, health benefits even if they cost more, an estimated two hundred thousand uh, uninsured people will gain coverage. The administration officials said. Okay, all right. Now I want to go to what happened at the White House today. Also, here's Vice President Kamala Harris introducing uh, former President Barack Obama. Families across our nation and to call on Congress to take action, to pass legislation that simply allows Medicare to directly negotiate prescription drug prices with pharmaceutical companies. And if there's any question why, I'll explain. More than 60 million Americans are enrolled in Medicare. That would give Medicare significant bargaining power to negotiate prices for all those Americans. So instead of forcing individual patients to negotiate by themselves, to require them to pay whatever price the drug companies set, they would have that kind of representation to stand there with their fellow Americans and negotiate those prices so that they would just simply be fair. So today we also call on Congress to make permanent the ACA subsidies that are included in the American Rescue Plan. Subsidies that are currently lowering insurance premiums for millions of Americans and which are set to expire in December. And more must be done. Currently, there are 12 states in our nation 
that refused to expand Medicaid for no reason other than petty partisan obstruction. As a result, four million people in our country are locked out of coverage. And that comes at a cost. For example, women who do not have health care coverage and are therefore less likely to have access during pregnancy or before or after to pelvic exams or vaccinations, prenatal checkups, postpartum, depression screenings, and all the other essential care they need to be safe and healthy before, during, and after birth. We know that expanding Medicaid coverage significantly reduces the number of mothers who die as a result of pregnancy. So the sooner coverage is expanded in those 12 states, the more lives we will save. Protecting the health and well-being of the people of our nation should not be a partisan issue. Every person in our nation should be able to access and afford the health care they need to thrive, not as a privilege, but as a right. And that is why our administration will continue to use every tool at our disposal to strengthen the ACA. And with that, It is now my great pleasure to introduce the man whose vision and leadership led us to this day, whose unwavering commitment to the people of our nation laid the foundation for this groundbreaking legislation. A leader who showed us the way forward on this important issue. Please welcome President Barack Obama. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Have a seat. Have a seat. Thank you. Vice President Biden. Vice President. That was a joke. That was all set up. <laughs> My president, Joe Biden, Vice President Harris, our dear friend, uh, Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, uh, all the members of Congress who are in attendance today, the members of Cabinet, uh, it is good to be back in the White House. Um, it's been a while. I confess, uh, I heard some changes have been made <laughs> by the current president since I was last year. Um, apparently, Secret Service agents have to wear aviator glasses now. <laughs> the Navy mess uh, has been replaced by a Baskin Robbins. <laughs> and there's, there's a cat running around. Which, I, I guarantee you, Bo and Sonny would have been very unhappy about. Uh, but, uh, coming back, even if I have to wear a tie, which I very rarely do these days, um, 
gives me a chance to visit with some of the incredible people who serve this White House and who serve this country every single day. A lot of times out of the limelight, uh, they, they make this government function and they help people in ways big and small. And, and from the outside, sometimes people don't understand just how grueling this is and how many sacrifices people make. Uh, because those of us who are in front of the cameras oftentimes get the credit. Um, but it's a lot of people uh, who are devoted day in, day out uh, to making this country better that matter, and uh, a lot of them are represented here. And that's not just in the West Wing, by the way. Uh, it's also in the residence. Uh, there were a lot of people who looked after our families um, that I will always be grateful to. So it, it's wonderful to be back to say thank you to all of you. Uh, but most of all, coming back here gives me a chance to say thank you and spend some time with an extraordinary friend and partner who was uh, by my side for eight years. Now, Joe Biden and I did a lot together. We helped save the global economy, made record investments in clean energy, we put guardrails on our financial system, we helped turn the auto industry around, repeal, don't ask, don't tell. But nothing made me prouder than providing better health care and more protections to millions of people across this country. So, So when President Biden said he was not going to just celebrate the ACA, but also announce actions that would make it even better, I had to show up. <laughs> I think it's been well documented just how difficult it was to pass the ACA. There, there's, you can get a lot of testimony here uh, in case uh, uh, folks haven't heard. You know, as a country, we have been talking about reforming health care for 100 years. Unlike almost every other advanced economy on Earth, we didn't have a system that guaranteed access to health care for all of its citizens. Millions of people didn't have health insurance, often because their employers didn't provide it or because it was too expensive. But despite the fact that our health care system didn't work well, it was hard to change. Healthcare represents about one-fifth of our economy. That's trillions of dollars that are involved. So there were a lot of different economic interests that were vying to maintain the status quo. And because the majority of Americans did have health care, some people naturally worried that they'd lose what they had. The media was skeptical of past failures. There was a lot of misinformation, to say the least, flying around. And uh, it's fair to say that most Republicans showed little interest in working <laughs> with us to get anything done. Uh, that's fair to say. But despite great odds, 
Joe and I were determined. Because we'd met too many people on the campaign trail who'd shared their stories. And our own families uh, had been touched by illness. And as I said to our dear friend Harry Reid, who uh, is missed, wished he was here today, because he took great pride in what we did. I intended to get health care passed, even if it cost me re-election, which for a while looked like it might. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but for all of us, for Joe, for Harry, for Nancy Pelosi, for others, the ACA was an example of why you run for office in the first place, why all of you sign up for doing jobs that pay you less than you could make someplace else, why you're away from home sometimes and you miss some soccer practices or some dance recitals. Because we don't, we're not supposed to do this just to occupy a seat or to hang on to power. But we're supposed to do this because it's making a difference in the lives of the people who sent us here. And because of so many people, including a lot of people who are here today, made enormous sacrifices. Because members of Congress took courageous votes, including some who knew that their vote would likely cost them their seat. Because of the incredible leadership of Nancy and Harry, we got the ACA across the finish line together. And the night we passed the ACA, I've said it before, it, it was a high point of my time here because it reminded me and it reminded us of what is possible. But, of course, our work was not finished. Republicans tried to repeal what we had done again and again and again. <laughs> and they filed law lawsuits that went all the way to the Supreme Court three times. I see Don Morelli here who had to defend a couple of them. They tried explicitly to make it harder for people to sign up for coverage. Uh, and let's face it, it didn't help that when we first rolled out the ACA, the website didn't work. <laughs> that was not one of my happiest moments. <laughs> so given all the noise and the controversy and the skepticism, it took a while for the American people to understand what we had done. But lo and behold, a little later than I'd expected, a lot of folks, including many who had initially opposed health care reform, came around. And today, the ACA hasn't just survived, it's pretty darn popular. And the reason is because it's done what it was supposed to do. It's made a difference. First 20 million, and now 30 million people have gotten covered thanks to the ACA. It's It's prevented insurance companies from denying people coverage based on a pre-existing condition. 
It's lowered prescription drug costs for 12 million seniors. It's allowed young people to stay on their parents' plan until they're 26. It's eliminated lifetime limits on benefits that often put people in a jam. So we are incredibly proud of that work. But the reason we're here today is because President Biden, Vice President Harris, everybody who's worked on this thing understood from the start that the ACA wasn't perfect. To get the bill passed, we had to make compromises. We didn't get everything we wanted. That wasn't a reason not to do it. If you can get millions of people health coverage and better protection, it is, to quote a famous American, a pretty big deal. That's what it is. But there were gaps to be filled. Even today, some patients still pay too much for their prescriptions. Some poor Americans are still falling through the cracks. In some cases, health care subsidies aren't where we want them to be, which means that some working families are still having trouble paying for their coverage. Here's the thing. That's not unusual when we make major progress in this country. The original Social Security Act left out entire categories of people, like domestic workers and farm workers. That had to be changed. In the beginning, Medicare didn't provide all the benefits that it does today. That had to be changed. Throughout history, what you see is that it's important to get something started, to plant a flag, to lay a foundation for further progress. The analogy I've used about the ACA before is that in the same way that uh, was true for early forms of Social Security and Medicare, it was a starter home. <laughs> it secured the principle of universal health care, provided help immediately to families, but it required us to continually build on it and make it better. And President Biden understands that, and that's what he's done since the day he took office. As part of the American Rescue Plan, he lowered the cost of health care even further for millions of people. He made signing up easier. He made outreach to those who didn't know they could get covered, make sure that they knew, made that a priority. And as a result of these actions, he helped a record 14.5 million Americans get covered during the most recent enrollment period. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what happens when you have an administration that's committed to making a program work. And today, today the Biden-Harris administration is going even further by moving to fix a glitch in the regulations that will lower premiums for nearly one million people who need it and allow 200,000 more uninsured Americans get access to coverage. I'm a private citizen now, but I still take a, more than a passing interest in the course of our democracy. <laughs> but I'm outside the arena, and, and I know how discouraged 
people can get with Washington. Democrats, Republicans, independents. Everybody feels frustrated sometimes about what takes place in this town. Progress feels way too slow sometimes. Victories are often incomplete. And in a country as big and as diverse as ours, consensus never comes easily. But what the Affordable Care Act shows is that you are driven by the core idea that together we can improve the lives of this generation and the next. And if you're persistent, if you stay with it and are willing to work through the obstacles and the criticism and continually improve where you fall short, you can make America better. You can have an impact on millions of lives. You can help make sure folks don't have to lose their homes when they get sick, that they don't have to worry whether a loved one is going to get the treatment they need. President Joe Biden understands that. He has dedicated his life to the proposition that there's something worthy about public service and that the reason to run for office is for days like today. So I could not be more honored to be here with him as he writes the next chapter in our story of progress. I'm grateful for all the people who've been involved in continuing to make the ASA everything it can be. And it is now my great privilege to introduce the 46th President of the United States, Joe Biden. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. Please. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Barack Obama's <laughs> Vice President. And I'm Jill Biden's husband. By the way, the only reason Jill's not here today, she's working. <laughs> she's teaching. <laughs> and so I just want you to know that's why she's not here. Good afternoon, everyone. Mr. President, welcome back to the White House, man. Feels like the good old days. Being here with you brings back so many good memories. We just had lunch together, and we weren't sure who was supposed to sit where. Uh, <laughs> look, it's fitting that the first time you return to the White House is to celebrate a law, a law that's transforming millions of lives because of you. And I say because of you. We had a lot of help, the staff, and I helped a little bit. But it's because of you. A law that shows hope leads to change. And you did that. You did it. Let's be honest. The Affordable Care Act has been called a lot of things, but Obamacare is the most fitting. <laughs> Obamacare. True. 
I can tell you all how much Barack Obama cared about getting this done. Throughout the countless hours of negotiations and the relentless political attacks, he never, ever, ever gave up. And I guarantee you that. If I had time, I could tell you all the times when he'd say, should we compromise, should we do And I'd say, well, we ought to think about it. No, if I do that, then so-and-so won't get covered. This group of people won't get covered. And whether it was after meeting our, our, our during our weekly lunch, and we met every single day, he'd remind me that what we're, why we're doing this in the first place. We're doing this in the first place for people who needed it and deserved to be treated with dignity. Dignity. The idea that when you can't afford health insurance for your children, for your spouse, male or female, it doesn't matter. Not only are they in trouble, but you're deprived of your dignity. Barack, you talked about the idea that it was important that we make sure that you couldn't outrun your insurance. I can remember there with, with Bo, thinking to myself, what would I do? They walked in and said, you've outrun your time here. And there were still 35 days to live. The things that changed people's lives. We both understood the Affordable Care Act wasn't about a single president or the presidency. It was about the countless, countless Americans lying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling, wondering, my God, my God, what if I get really sick? What am I going to do? What am my family going to do? Will I lose the house? Discussions we had in my house with my dad when he lost his health insurance. Who's going to pay for it? Who's going to take care of my family? You know, <clears throat> in America, health care, as we've all three said, will have now said, health care should be a right, not a privilege. And. With, with the help of members of Congress, especially Nancy, and the advocates for families are here today, 12 years ago last month, 12 years ago, <clears throat> we made a good effort <clears throat> toward that proposition, and it should be right. When, uh, and Barack, when you signed the Affordable Care Act into law, it became the most consequential piece of health insurance, most consequential piece of legislation, in my view, since the creation of Medicare and Medicaid in 1965. It made a difference in people's lives every day. You just talked about where we were before the Affordable Care Act and what happened in the past 12 years to make a life a lot better for people. Well, I'd like to talk about where we go from here, because, because we knew back then, as, Barack, as the President said, we knew that we had to keep strengthening this legislation. Look. That's why I ran for president, and I promised to protect and build upon the Affordable Care Act. As soon as entered office, it's exactly what Kamala and I did, and what our administration and the Democrats in Congress here today did. We passed the landmark American Rescue Plan, which not only helped us in COVID-19 get it under control and our economy back on track, it got millions more people insured under the Affordable Care Act. It made it easier for people to sign up for coverage in the middle of a pandemic. It opened a special enrollment people and gave millions and millions of Americans more time to enroll. 
It quadrupled the number of navigators out there in the communities helping people to sign up for coverage because it's confusing to people. It's confusing. The president's heard me say when we work together, you know, they'd say, well, Biden and Obama are doing great on foreign policy. You want to do something difficult, try health care. <laughs> Not a joke. Not a joke. So we continue to expand Medicaid. Missouri and Oklahoma became the 37 and 38 states to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. And as been mentioned, over 31 million people now have health insurance through the Affordable Care Act. Four out of five Americans can find quality coverage for under $10 a month. The average family, the average family is saving $2,400 a year on their premiums. That's $200 every single month available for other needs in their lives from gas to groceries to other basic necessities. The bottom line is this. The Affordable Care Act is stronger now than it has ever been. And today, now I'm not even talking about what your former chief of staff is doing to make sure health care is available to all our veterans in the way he did. Yeah. Today, we're strengthened even further. In a moment, I'm going to sign an executive order building on one of those that I signed last year. It directs federal agencies to continue doing everything in their power, everything in their power to expand quality and affordable health care coverage, making it easier for people to enroll in and keep their coverage, helping people better understand their coverage options, and to pick, to be able to pick the best option for that family taking steps to strengthen benefits, lower costs, and expand eligibility, protecting Americans from low-quality coverage that can lead to a mountain of medical debt. And folks, and separately, it's time to fix what we refer to as the family glitch. Now, the family glitch, all everybody in this room probably knows what it is. <laughs> but it's a common issue facing 5 million Americans who can't get financial help to get coverage under the Affordable Care Act. And here's the problem. Under the current rules, a working mom is told, as long as she can afford employer-based coverage for herself, she can't qualify for premium subsidies to afford coverage for her family. Cover her, but not her family. We're working to change that. Once today's proposed rule is finalized, starting next year, working families in America will get the help they need to afford full family coverage, everyone in the family. All right. So that's what took place at the White House today. All right. And uh, you can see some more of this here. As all right, so that's what took place at the White House today. Um, you can check that out at uh, whitehouse.gov, also on C-SPAN. Okay, so that is uh, good news. And you have 5 million people nationwide who are affected by the family glitch. Okay, 
Um, African-American business owners, post the name of your business here on the thread of the broadcast. We'll let you know how you can advertise with the African History Network. Uh, our current promotion is buy one month, get two months free. We have a few uh, ad spaces uh, still available. Okay, so email us at show at africanhistorynetwork.com, show at africanhistorynetwork.com. And uh, we'll let you know how you can advertise uh, with the African History Network. Uh, and it will also have some information on our website, um, africanhistorynetwork.com as well. Let me uh, pull that up here. Okay. We have it right on the homepage of our website also. Okay. So current promotion, buy one month, get two months free. We can get you up and running, uh, uh, get you up and running in a day. And your ads, your 30-second and 60-second ad will run in the rebroadcast of our shows and also on our audio podcast uh, platforms. We're on 10 different audio podcast platforms also. We're on iHeartRadio, FM Player, TuneIn, uh, CastBox, uh, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio. So a number of different uh, – we're on a number of different um, audio podcast platforms also. Okay, and it'll rebroadcast on our social media platforms, the video uh, form of your of your uh, commercial. If you don't have a uh, commercial, we can create one for you at no additional charge. Okay, 30 second and 60 second uh, commercial. So email us at show at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com and we'll let you know how you can advertise uh, with the African History Network. All right. Uh, if you like this type of information, also you can support the African History Network. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. The Celsius keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, and uh, we're celebrating our 12th year anniversary of me uh, broadcasting the African History Network show. Uh, also, okay. Look, we have to get out of here. Uh, remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. Uh, Wakanda forever. And we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry. It's larger than the art world. And I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre. I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Notori Naughton reached out to me. She's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time. Jeanette Davis is a well-established author with six published books. 
Black Survival in White America from Past History to the Next Century was published in 1995 and it delves into the history of African Americans before slavery up to contemporary times. The Great Divide Between Blacks and Whites was released in 2008 and her autobiography, Black Just Like My Mama, was published in 2010. Soulful Journey, The Business of Beings, was released in December 2021 and her two latest books, Echoes from the Heart, Love Throws Poetry, and Master Being Human, were both published in January of 2022. Jeanette Davis' writings delve deeply into the psyche of black people from ancient to contemporary times. She cuts no corners and leaves no stones unturned in relating truth, letting the chips fall where they may on both African and European doorsteps. Order Jeanette Davis's books today at Amazon.com. Search for Jeanette Davis and get to know her work today. What does self-care mean to you? To us, it's an opportunity to reconnect with nature. A chance to create something remarkable. At Sage and Elm Apothecary, our handcrafted skin care and household products immerse you in Earth's sweetest nectar, connecting you to nature in a way you never imagined. See for yourself and visit us at sageandelmapothecary.com. Abundant Capital Group is a real estate investment company with over 20 years of experience in real estate. They specialize in two areas of real estate. One, they solve real estate problems with creative financing solutions that give the seller the most money for their property. And two, they show individuals how to get a higher rate of return on their investment capital with real estate note investing. If you are looking to sell or need to sell your property, here is what they provide. Market value offer, even if you have little or no equity, they typically pay all closing costs, which can be thousands of dollars. They close on a date of the seller's choosing and the seller does not have to be out of the house at the time of closing. They take the property in an as-is condition and the seller is not required to make any repairs. Give them a call or email them today for a free consultation and see how they can help you with your real estate needs. Call them at 973-475-8488. That's 973-475-8488. Visit their website, AbundantCapitalGroup.com. That's AbundantCapitalGroup.com. And email them at ACG at AbundantCapitalGroup.com. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Abundant Capital Group. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that is traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because, again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. 
We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's die. Stop the ghost, L-O-X-D block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the Matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. iRedify is a black-owned digital platform that showcases black and brown cultures and people. The books on the platform are written by African-American authors, Afro-Caribbean authors, African authors, and so much more. Kids 14 and under can read ebooks, listen to audiobooks, and complete learning activities. Kids can even write in the books digitally. Get unlimited access to everything on the platform for only $8.99 a month at iRedify.com. Sign up for your membership today. 